As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I think you're full of I think I'm full Shit, I was so full of Yeah, I was so full of I think I'm full of I think you're full of I think you're full of Shit And welcome back to So Very Wrong About Games. It's a board game podcast about, strangely enough board games mark you should just record that like you always do and just play that at the beginning then we don't have to waste my precious golden voice saying that every time walker i will declare here in october of 2019 that i will never ever do that so some quick caveats some things that i always forget to say at the beginning of every show all the games i played that i'm going to be talking about this episode were played digitally, yet I'm going to give the creditation to the physical coffee copy for the designer and the publisher. And the other thing I wanted to say is, during this, what's going on now, support your local game store. I've seen a lot of these stores offering gift certificates and stuff. So you can, like, go online, use your PayPal, use whatever, prepay some, you know, charge up your cards, get ready for when these places suddenly open. You know, if you play games down at your store, if it's your local get-together place, then these guys are, are suffering and hurting. You know, reach out and give them some support. That would be fantastic. That being said, this is a podcast about board games. I'm here with my great friend, Mark. How are you today, Mark? I'm very well, thanks. How are you, Walker? Always good. We are going to talk about the game we reviewed last year, and then some games we played this week. Some news and why it doesn't matter. And the topic of this week, which is the digital life after COVID. Mark, I always take the limelight when we talk about the game we played last year. So this week, I will let you introduce it. Walker, a man of your charisma and presence takes the limelight in any context. But thank you for throwing me this bone. Last year, we reviewed Crusaders Thy Will Be Done by Seth Jaffe and Tasty Minstrel Games. And honestly, when I saw that this was the Eurus, 
I had difficulty remembering the game at all. It was so forgettable for me, so bland, so pointless, so blanched of any historical detail or nuance that might have made it a little more compelling, so bereft of genuinely mechanically engaging elements. I, I didn't hate it. I just found it incredibly forgettable, which is why I forgot about it shortly after reviewing it, and I have not played it or thought about the game since. I'm a little bit of the opposite. I did think about it a couple of weeks ago and semi-regretted trading it away. I thought it was a very interesting rondelle system where you got to build your own rondelle. You got to upgrade the actions and you like sort of, you know, spread out and got certain scoring objectives. And I don't think it, you know, I don't think it overstayed its welcome. I think it played very well and the components were amazing. And believe it or not, it's getting an expansion this year, Mark. It's a uh, expansion. It's called Crusaders Divine Influence. So that should be interesting. There's not much information on it other than the fact that it's coming out this year. Are you going to jump back in with both feet? Not at all. Okay. If it comes to... No, not, not, not even if it comes to Kickstarter. So, on to the games we played last week. I played Bullet again. This is the level 99 games puzzle game that is kind of sort of almost, but not really at all, a shoot-em-up game. And I commented last week that I really liked the timed aspect of the competitive mode. But I had misgivings about how it might work multiplayer, and I had misgivings about how it might work in the solo-slash-cooperative boss modes. So I played the boss mode. In the boss mode, what happens is essentially the boss introduces new patterns that you have to fulfill or bad things will happen to you. So in the normal competitive game in Bullet, what you have are these bullets, eponymously enough, that have to be arranged in specific patterns so you can then send them off to your opponents. Well, in the case of a boss fight, you send them off to the boss, but on top of that, if you don't satisfy a pattern by the end of the round, that matches what the boss card has, your bullets will threaten you and, and descend. All that is fine, although not necessarily precisely calibrated to how I, how I like things, because one of the things that I very much appreciated about Bullet was it had three patterns for you to juggle at any given time. Or four if you had the particular character, but then the boss starts introducing more and more on top of that. At that point, it starts feeling more like a puzzle and looks like a crisis management. And again, this is just purely personal preference things. I'm not really good with special puzzles. That's not really what I'm down for. The other thing that it got rid of is the timer element. When you're playing co-op, it's untimed. That I also strongly disliked. Now, I realize that it's kind of a necessity because you have all this additional information to juggle. You have all these additional patterns to manage. And some of the patterns are off in the middle of the table and everyone needs to be able to see them. And I could understand that if it were timed, it wouldn't really work in the same way. But it just wasn't to my taste in that sense. I was going to say, the, the trade-off is that you lose the suspense of, you know, the, the timed element, right? Exactly. And one of the things that we agreed on a few weeks ago was that mistakes are interesting, play faster. And that's one of the great things about the timer element. It gives you this additional sense of tension, so it increases the experience of the game. And mechanically, just procedurally, in terms of what happens, you get more interesting developments because people aren't playing optimally. And I am not particularly prone to AP. I would never ever want to play the co-op version with anyone who is even remotely prone to AP because goodness gracious they are going to take forever because the optimal play is just there waiting for them just past the horizon all they need is two more years to think about how to move this tiny little chip so yeah I'm not keen on playing the co-op version again I'm not keen on playing multiplayer so what are we left with well we're left with a game that's cute and shows promise but based on my set of preferences I'm only ever willing to play it two-player in other words not a game I'm going to try to get. So Bullet is in pre-release now. They've got an official tabletop simulator mod for you to try it before it goes up on Kickstarter. It's going to be up on Kickstarter in a couple days. But I will say this. If you and your group, you want 
a competitive spatial puzzle type of thing, or even a co-op spatial puzzle type of thing, if you liked Tosh Kalar, or if you wanted Tosh Kalar to have a, a slightly more glossy theme attached to it, this might be the game for you. It's very clever, it's very simple, it's very accessible. It's just not leveraging the kind of gameplay skills that I find enjoyable. And so it's very much to a tight mismatch as far as I'm concerned, because I think mechanically it's sound and it's got some clever bits, and the character differentiation is lovely. It really is nice how the special powers work together and how every character has their own deck of patterns to match and the patterns themselves leverage the special abilities so it all feeds into each other. That part's great. And if I had a need in my collection for more two-player head-to-head games, I would absolutely jump on Bullet. That is not, however, where I happen to be sitting. And so given its lack of flexibility and how I'm only willing to appreciate it in a very, very narrow lane, again, my fault, not the game's fault, I don't think I'll be playing much more of Bullet. And that is my further follow-up experiences with the game. Nice. I watched this game called Sapiens shoot up the hotness list, so I wanted to check it out and find out what it was all about. It was an older game, and it was shot up the hotness because it had just come out on Board Game Arena. So I gave it a try. It's a game by Sarah Leroy, put out by Elo Games. And it's like a domino type game. You have all these different terrain types and you're placing it on your own little player board. And it's a little bit like uh, Tiger's New Euphrates where you have two different scores. You're getting a uh, sort of like a a people score and a food score. And you're going your your score at the end of the game is going to be whatever the lowest one is. Dominant strategy, cannibalism. It's true. Then you get it's a win win loss, right? Well, it keeps your your popular keeps your score even that way. Guaranteed equilibrium. The tile placement was semi-interesting it was like a direct dominoes you know all the different train types had to match and they all had to touch and you you'd move around your board and you'd go into different caves but trying to get the tiles that you needed was very painful and then Mm. on top of that it had this take that strategy where people could take your tiles or block your tiles so you know, when one finally came up that, you know, matched the exact thing you needed, then, oh, no, sorry, they took it out of your out of your pile. It's like you're playing Kakasun and you're desperately waiting for that one type of city tile to finish your, your city and then it comes up in the display and someone gets rid of it? Yeah, or even, you know, there, it's like a sort of drafting thing. There's like a, 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 a display of five and you're going to have your hand of your hand of five so it comes up in the display you choose it and now it's in your hand but you know they've they they use one of their special abilities that everyone has because there's like there's like five different caves and they all have their different things where it's either you know put a power token on a thing that costs you food every time you do it or like i said switch one of their tiles with one of your tiles from your hand and it goes on a little too long especially when that's when that's the key part of the game it's, it would be fine if that was like a sub part of the game. It's like, oh, you're going to play tiles to do this part, and then you're going to do something else over here. You know, that wouldn't be so bad because then you could, you know, focus more on here and say, okay, well, for this turn, I'll do this. And then maybe another tile will come up. But if they take that tile and just happen to be the only one that you could play, because you definitely have to make sure, sure your hand is diverse. Because if you don't play, then you sort of, you have to close, you know, flip over that whole line you've started and start a whole new lineup. Right? I see. So... That being said, I don't think I'm glad I got to try it on uh, Board Game Arena. It's definitely not one I'm going to, you know, seek out picking up or wanting to play again. It had some interesting parts in it, but uh, overall, too much take that, in my opinion. Do you know what sounds like a really good game walker? What sounds like a good game? This this Tigris and Euphrates thing you mentioned earlier. That sounds like a good game. I think we should give that a try. I heard it's by this designer that 
puts out a bunch of good games. He's got a good pedigree going on. We should give him a give him a whirl. He is a doctor after all. So I got to try a game called Legacy of Dragonhold, and I have to say that I'm late to the party with this game, and it is entirely my own fault. I've been hearing about Legacy of Dragonhold for years, and I just never really got it to the table. It took me a while to get a copy, and then it took me a while to try it. I hope you don't think you're going to get away with this, Mark. You know, wandering around the lands of Tirnoth, you think you're going to tell me that you had fun when you've been bashing this for the last 10 years, any game that is in the land of Tirnoth, you're like, ho, 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 orcs and goblins, how original, lands of Tirnoth, garbage. So go ahead, <laughs> tell me how good this game is. Okay, first of all. Yeah, hypocrite. First of all, <laughs> I am right there with you on Battlelore 2nd Edition. We both love Battlelore 2nd Edition. I kind of sort of almost like Rune Wars. I think it most it almost works. It's just a little too long, a little too, but it has some clever bits. Here's why Legacy of Dragonhold is a joy. And I absolutely adore Legacy of Dragonhold. I'm three sessions in. I'm playing it solo. But I am absolutely going to finish this thing. And I've been playing every day since I, I first cracked it open. Here's why. It is precisely the kind of story that I want. Wedded to the type of storytelling mechanics that I want. Again, just in terms of personal preferences here, because apparently there is no such thing as objective truth. All is subjective. It is, nothing is good, but, but thinking makes it so. When I first fired up the Legacy of Dragonhold, as it were, I was ready to hear about, you know, the Grand Council of Latrilia sending down their centuries-long edict for the grand hosts of, of whatever the hell. No. It was a couple of people wandering along a road, getting to know each other. That's how the story starts. That is the beginning of Legacy of Dragonhold. And the thing is that all the people involved are interesting and compelling, and I care what happens to them. One of the things we commented on, we've been talking about adventure games a lot over the course of the past year, and one of the things we commented on in the context of Tainted Grail was you like the world. The world is compelling. I want to see what happens in the world. The people involved, eh, not so much. Only on occasion do you really get some traction and, and you, you care about the specific individuals. Legacy of Dragonhold is exactly the opposite. Nikki Valens and the people who wrote it with her, uh, the, the, the list of credits include a whole bunch of RPG writers, Daniel Clark, Tim Flanders, Annie Vandermeer Woodsoda, and Greg Spiritus, all of whom worked for the now defunct Fantasy Flight role-playing arm. They don't seem to care much about Terranoth. They don't seem to care much about, you know, elves qua elves or orcs qua orcs or anything like that. What they want to do is create compelling, reasonable people involved in compelling, reasonable setups and scenarios. And I'm completely hooked. I care so much about what is happening to these people. I care about the, I care about my own character, even though my own character doesn't say anything. Because mechanically speaking, not a whole lot is going on in Legacy of Dragonhold, except for the following. It's kind of like a distillation of all the storytelling bits of all these other storytelling games that I liked and wished emphasized more. So, for example, Tainted Grail Fall of Avalon, we commented that some of the best bits were, ooh, this specific thing happens by virtue of my character being present. Oh, this guy's on the outs with the druids. Okay, but he, he's there, and this influences how, how the world works. It makes me feel like I'm more invested in both my character and what they're doing. Similarly, in the context of games like... Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, there's an interesting puzzle to be unworked. You know, the kind of puzzle that I like, the kind of social, more mystery puzzle. Legacy of Dragonhold combines those two elements in a very, very real way. You have a map, you go to various locations, you read paragraphs, it's a choose-your-own-adventure at its heart, but the specific, unique results that you get are not a function of your character being present, because your character is always present, but your character having certain sets of skills. At the start of the game, you're encouraged, and this is all like stock narrative role-playing game stuff, you're encouraged to start investing your character with meaning. 
and by giving them a certain list of, of skills. And so you might have a paragraph that says, okay, here are the things that you can talk about. Oh, would you like to talk about this person's background and about how they're really, really upset about their former master's death? Do you have the empathy skill? Okay, well, then you can ask them about that. And so you immediately start forming these attachments to how your character views the world. Your character is the lens through which you're approaching these social... Yes, there are broader situations, but it's mostly social for me at this point in terms of my preferences. And I'm really affected by what's going on. I have strong opinions about these people. And I don't want to get into spoilers because there's a lot of really interesting and clever stuff that happens in Legacy of Dragon Ball, but it started off for me right away because the story starts, the événement déclencheur, as you say, I literally don't know the English term, uh, the precipitating event is a letter that gets sent to you from a friend. You're told that you, an old friend of yours is a tutor to some minor noble somewhere in Dragonhold. And I start reading the letter. And first I notice a typo. It's like, oh, that's unfortunate. FFG normally has pretty good copy editing. I wonder what happened there. But the typos keep mounting. And right around typo three, I'm like, wait a minute. Why is my scholar friend sending me a letter that's full of typos. Something's deeply wrong here. And sure enough, right from the start, they're layering on all these subtle implications about what's happening by virtue of the components and by the way the things are writing. It was, I was hooked right away. Immediately I was grabbed. I have, I, I, I have so many good things to say about Legacy of Dragonhold. I am so incredibly compelled. Now I'm playing solo, playing multiplayer. They have a very interesting way to manage who does what and when. It's a very, very simple. Everything is very rule simple on Legacy of Dragonhold. I have concerns about replayability, of course. It seems to be a one-and-done thing. And multiplayer, I can't comment because I've been playing solo, but I have to say, it is a shame that Fantasy Flight has not decided to publish more games using the system. It was Have they supported it at all? Like, it's a little bit older game. I was wondering, did they put out any support? Is there any, like, you know, follow-up to it or expansions or anything? It was put out in 2017. They named the system. It's called the Oracle System. There have been no supplements for Legacy of Dragonhold, and there have been no other games with the Oracle System at all. And as I say, many of the people, all the people involved, all the, the RPG writers, they don't do RPGs anymore. And Nikki Valens used to be an in-house designer for FFG. That's no longer true. She works with Asmodee. She's put out work with them before. But so sadly, this seems to be more or less it. There's no immediate indication that there's going to be any more of this. But I, but just all the complaints that I've had in the past about bloated adventure-style games, like, okay, well, before we were telling a story, and now we have to have these overloaded combat elements. Legacy of Dragonhold does combat the same way it does everything else. If you're in a combat situation, it says, well, how would you like to approach this combat situation? Oh, do you have the relevant skill? Okay, well, you're a brawler. You can go do this thing. And it's like, it just, everything works. Everything works. It's smooth. It's wonderful. And it's telling a good story. Legacy of Dragonhold is, is very much the adventure game that I didn't know that I wanted, and it's delivering exactly what I wanted it to, and I can't wait to see what happens to all the people involved. It is an absolute triumph, and it is a testament to the writing chops of the people involved and of the clever design decisions made throughout. I highly recommend Legacy of Dragonhold. Track it, copy down if you haven't had a chance to experience it. Okay, once you're done, give it up. Will do. Well, my next game is not that exciting. God, that sounded like like, like it was actually fun. You know, uh, all these games we haven't been able to play, that seems like you're having a great time. I got to play a basic game called Can't Stop by Sid Saxon from Eagle Griffin Games. This is another game for Board Game Arena. And it just gives you I'm, – I'm glad I got to play it because now – more on this later. But I was I was planning on maybe picking up a – copy of Quacks and Quiglenberg just because it's, you know, like a sort of family press your luck type game, but, but can't stop just gives you that same feeling and none of that 
silly overhead stuff. It's just that press your luck, same as Formula Day. You're pressing your luck into the corners, rolling the dice, seeing how far you can get, and and just shaking your head and realizing what a greedy, greedy person you are. <laughs> it literally has along the top uh, every outcome you can get with two dice, so two to 12, and you're rolling four dice at once, and you're pairing them up, up to two pairs, however you want, however you want to pair them, and you go up these tracks, and you can go up three tracks at a time, and you can keep rolling and going up the tracks as many times as you like until you say stop, and then you put your placeholders out there, and then someone else takes a turn. And if you ever roll dice where you can't put the go up the three tracks that you started, then you went bust, and you go right back to the beginning again. Love it especially on board game arena you just see a game open you click on it and you go through a game in like almost five minutes and have a great time can't stop can't stop playing it <laughs> i like can't stop it's cute i just wish that there were I, I mean it seems churlish to demand of a game that is that simple to have it be a little more elaborated but i like press your luck games when there's a little bit more connecting your various roles, once you have three markers out, once you've decided the three tracks you're going your turn, there is, there's no connective tissue between one role and the next. So it's all just these atomistic decisions of pressing your luck. And at that point, I, I prefer a little bit more meat to the bone. But yeah, it, it's a marvelous distillation of the press your luck mechanism. I get to play Gaslands Refueled. We've talked a lot about Gaslands on this podcast over the years. Refuel being the second edition, and this was put up by Mike Hutchinson and Osprey Publishing last year. Yeah, I want to hear about this because you said you're going to play it digitally, so I'm very interested to hear how this went. I played it on Vassal, Vassal being the superior way to play games online with friends or in a computer. And I have since been in touch with the designer of the Vassal mod, the fan who made the Gaslands mod, because... It is a marvel of simplicity and accessibility. It's not the... There's no automation involved. It's not quite the genius that is the Star Wars X-Wing mods. And the Star Wars X-Wing mods, the movement is automated. You know, you tell the ship to move a certain way based on a template, and it just automatically moves, and it tells you if there's a collision, and it'll back up if there is a collision, and all those things. That is marvelous. If you ever want, you know, depth of community support, naturally you go to a Star Wars product, and there's going to be a lot of people programming impressive stuff. In Gaslands Refueled, which is also a template movement, based miniatures game you do have to drag the template over and rotate it and then move the vehicle to the new position but honestly it was not tedious at all and it worked more or less at the same speed that you would do it in person because the process of getting the template setting it up in front of your car and then moving it physically is not substantially faster than dragging it over rotating it and then going to town it suffers from a number of problems, though. One of the problems is that there are no Mustangs in it, which is a serious, serious defect. If you're going to play Gaslands, especially if I'm involved, there need to be at least two or three Mustangs I see, involved. I, I can see why you reached out to the to the designer immediately and 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 told him the problems with his with his mod that he worked on. I am waiting that for the second round of updates. Uh, the the biggest problem actually is that the templates are not the same width as the vehicles themselves. And so, as a result, there's a certain amount of fiddliness in lining up the templates accurately with the vehicles. Now, civilized individuals are able to play fast and loose and say, ah, you know, close enough, go for it. But even people who are playing in good faith, who might be a little twitchier, like, for example, the person I was playing Gaslands with, or like you, for example, you get very nervous about the placement of templates and so forth because you don't want to shortchange other people. Some people do it out of a sense of competitiveness. Some people do it out of a sense of not wanting to shortchange people. And some people just do it out of a sense of wanting things to be proper, capital P. I am in none of those conditions, and so I'm very happy to let, let things fly. 
when the templates are not the right size compared to the vehicles, you end up in complicated situations. Now, in real life, it's actually easier to resolve because, you know, you can eyeball things more closely and you can nudge them ever so slightly. But in a digital format, it gets a little clumsy. And after all, in a digital format, given that they could be exactly the same width, why aren't they exactly the same width? And that facilitates things somewhat. Now, if I knew how to edit Vassal mods, I'd change it, but I don't, so I can't. So I asked him to scale things up a bit. He might, he might or might not agree with me. He was, he was very lovely, lovely human being. He was very uh, appreciative that I had a good time with the the, the Gaslands Vassal mod. But I haven't heard back from him about my my suggested list of of, of quote unquote improvements. They're improvements to me. But there's lots of good terrain to mess with. Setting up the table took no time at all. It was just a breeze. Drag stuff over, rotate it a bit. There you go. You've got a map, and then drag vehicles over. One of the things that I love about Vassal is that it is so flexible that it doesn't really care what version of Gaslands you're playing. You have to do all the work of building your squad, but if you know how to play Gaslands, you're going to build your own squad anyway. And then you just import in, input the data in open text fields, which, quite frankly, is how I would prefer to do things anyhow. Now, for ammo and gear, there are little toggleable boxes, right? So you don't always have to type the number. It's like, okay, I threw two Molotovs, untick two boxes, there we go, we're on our way. But that's just me rhapsodizing about Vassal, which I've done a lot over the course of the past few months. And if you're at all interested, I have an editorial up on So Very Wrong About All the Games You Like Are Bad, about all the ways in which I love Vassal. But uh, it was a game that lasted roughly the same duration as a game in person, which for a digital implementation is always always a, uh, a good sign. Even though my gaming partner, it was his first experience with Vassal. So I was able to do the whole thing, uh, you know, here's how you play Vassal, here's how you play Gaslands on Vassal in, in practically no time at all. And it was very fun. I am probably going to do it again because Gaslands is one of my favorite miniatures games. And if a miniatures game has a decent implementation on Vassal, I'm definitely keen to give it a shot. So that was my experience with Gaslands Refueled on Vassal. Nice. I wonder if you could, like you said, if you modify, you've already modified another mod that was a tabletop simulator mod and for for all my complaints about tabletop simulator it is much easier to fiddle around with the mods in tabletop simulator than it is in vassal oh is there a good is there a good x-wing one for tabletop simulator oh yeah the the x-wing mod for tabletop simulator is amazing so i wonder if you could hack one of those for your gasland sort of implementation Oh, uh, possibly not, because the, 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 the great, the reason why tabletop simulator mods are so easy to modify is because most of them are so bare bones. Like, here are a whole bunch of assets. The moment it starts getting into scripting, I can mess around with some simple scripting, but not the kind of scripting that is involved in, in, in X-Wing. That's a little more complicated. But, you know, you've got a point. I might be able to start looking at the scripting there and, and seeing if I could port it. I'm not the, I'm not quite as technologically sophisticated as most people, but I could at least take a look. All right. For my next game, I just realized when I was looking at my list, it sort of combines the last two games I just talked about and takes the the great parts of both those games and and it works in this. So in Can't Stop, Dead Simple, Mechanics, Super Fun, and that's the essential part that makes it good is the fact that it's quick, dead simple. Sapiens, Tile Lane, so the game that takes both of those together, King Domino, played a lot of games at King Domino. Once again, I just sort of went all in on Board Game Arena this this week. It's just one of those things where uh, it, it works much better on, on my device that I can have where I am and and not so much on my computer, or, or I mean, I can't be on my computer as much as I want to be. But anyway, back to King Domino. Very interesting tile lane system, very quick, and it's one of those games, I know I think we've talked about before, where the rules are so just dead basic and that's what makes the game great it's like you choose you choose a tile 
pick the next tile for next turn, place that one, you're all ready to go. It goes around the table very quickly. Nice, simple, easy scoring systems. They've come out with a couple of expansions for it. And I'm wondering if it falls into the same problem before. I know I've tried the one Giants expansion and, and I've heard some people raving about the next one that's coming out. But whenever you throw gears into a system like this where, where the novelty of it is because it's flow so easily and it's so easy to teach, I'm wondering if it just, you know, you might as well just come up with something different. You know, keep this true and basic the way it is. And that's why it's great. But who knows? I'll have to wait and give it a try. This is a Bruno Cathala design, and it's put out by Blue Orange. And you're essentially just laying these dominoes out. Once again, just like Sapiens, a whole bunch of different train types. And some of them have these little crowns in it. So depending on how big you make that particular part of the train, you multiply it by how many crowns you happen to get in there. And you have to make a 5x5 five five grid. And then the game is over. And fun was had by everyone. Bruno Cathala knows what he's doing, and Blue Orange is a solid publisher. Yeah, King Domino is a, a very, very good entry-level game. I agree. I had very early experiences, and this is going to be very tentative, with Tiny Forming Mars. Tiny Forming Mars is the print-and-play reimagining, the smallening, smallening is a technical term, of Terraforming Mars. Now, I'm on record as not really appreciating Terraforming Mars very much, but Tiny Forming Mars intrigued me. It is one of the print-and-play games that's been winning awards, and with my very, very, very positive experiences with Underfalling Skies, I wanted to explore a little bit more some of these indie-unpublished print-and-play games that have been winning awards over the course of the past couple of years, and Tiny Forming Mars came very highly recommended. Now, I've only played it solo so far. It is a one- or two-player game, and I'd say that the one-player game is just uh, an optimization exercise. You, you pull three cards from a, from a very small deck of advancements, and then you basically just try to make sure that you have enough icons to power the thing you want to do. And you do this over and over and over again uh, over the course of 11 rounds, and you just try to make sure that you've exhausted the supply of all the heat, of all the plants, and all the water. So it's got that element in common with Terraforming Mars. You have tags that you need to manage, and you're trying to terraform Mars by making it warmer, wetter, and greener. So Tiny Forming Mars is very much in line with that. But instead of being some sort of sprawling drafting management thing where you've got a whole bunch of different actions, it's much, much distilled. At the start of every round, you're going to have a, a three new projects that you can possibly do. In the solo game, you just draw three cards, and each card has two projects on it. You just pick which projects you want to do. When you're playing competitively, though, you effectively draft the available projects. You, you, you pull up the cards, and uh, one player says, okay, I want me to have this project and you to have this other project, and the other player makes the same call. And so you have some ability to effectively draft, kind of, sort of, almost. And it's less a brutal optimization puzzle and more a question of a competitive dance, I hope. Because, as I say, the mechanics I find very interesting. You know, there's some money management and some tag management. You need to worry far more about the map because the map in Tiny Forming Mars is much more constrained. That was one of, another one of my complaints about Terraforming Mars. I felt that the map was kind of ancillary and not terribly interesting. It was a little too loose for my tastes. But in Tiny Forming Mars, it's so much smaller. And so placement is, is much more constrained and tight. And the trade-offs strike me as more interesting. But again, solo, it didn't seem like it was playing to its strengths. I hope that playing two players, it will be more interesting, more compelling, more, you know, competitive, and with more interesting trade-offs. So I hope at some point, Walker, over the course of the coming weeks, either you or someone else will be willing to sit down and play Tiny Forming Mars with me. There is a tabletop simulator module. I was going to say, it'll have to be, you know, because, you know, seeing each other in person again, I don't think that's allowed to happen. 
Yeah, no, it's 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 been outlawed for just general sake of health because seeing someone of my feeble physical attributes next to an Adonis, the universe can't can't abide that kind of juxtaposition. But at any rate, so suffice to say that my early experience of the Tiny Farm Mars had been somewhat frustrating because I didn't really like the solo play. The nature of the optimization didn't please me very much, but mechanically it seems very sound and it seems to address many, if not all, of the chief concerns I had about terraforming Mars. So I am looking forward to trying it with another human being and seeing what comes of it. And that was Tiny Forming Mars, designed by Michael Bevilacqua. All right, and lastly for me, you and I got to play Innovation again. So this is my second time I played Innovation. Had tons of fun playing it. I'm wondering if if our game today was sort of representative of how Innovation goes, right? Is this... Because, you know, I seem to get the right cards at the beginning, came off to a huge lead, and then you happen to get cards at the end... You know, is that is that how innovation works? You just have you know, you just fall upon the cards. So no, I'm being, I'm not being sure. smart. I'm just, like, like, is it an is it is this the experience of the game? Is it is this what happens? Is that you just have people happen to draw the right combination of cards and then they explode out and then, or is there an actual way to litigate this problem? Is there a way to actually? I believe the word you want is mitigate. Litigate refers to legal action. Mitigate, sorry. So I, I don't think you're sending me an injunction or taking me to court, but if so, this would be a strange way to serve me. I should have after I got brutally robbed of that victory today. I, I think I should start some sort of court proceedings. Let me answer your question in two parts. First of all, yes, largely speaking, the game ends when someone's able to build an explosive combo or to get the right power that dovetails properly with the table position and then they just break the game. This is not entirely unlike how a lot of games of Glory to Rome end. Glory to Rome, also by Carl Chuddick, people say that the point of Glory to Rome is to break the game. Whoever breaks the game first wins. Innovation sometimes feels like that. It's got some of the broad contours. But I think you're actually underselling what happened in our the course of our game of innovation, because I think that you're, you're kind of minimizing the extent to which there was back and forth. Because what happened was you built very early on a reasonably good scoring potential by virtue of the cards you had in your tableau. And you were running away with achievements. And I realized, I did a quick calculation, I had to get at least one achievement or you were just going to run away with it. So I got my one achievement and that bought me time. And that bought me just enough time to build up my tableau because this entire time, while I wasn't scoring, while I wasn't really doing anything, I was just drawing and playing cards. That was more or less it for a lot of the game. And of course, splaying, which is how I play. This is a personal thing. I just develop my tableau and wait for something to happen and hope that I can make it to the later stage cards. And that's what happened. We made it to age seven and eight, and it was in age seven and eight while you were still pumping your engine that I thought, ah, here's what I can do. And effectively what I did, and parenthetically, this was one of the more thematic sessions of, of innovation I've had for a while. I built up a colonial empire that was then able to effectively mine resources from all its colonial holdings and then I built an industrial base that just destroyed you. And that, 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 that's effectively what happened if you look at the titles of the cards and, and the effect that they had. The reason why it worked out that way was because I had a, a small chance of staving off your win, which I was able to take advantage of because you were crushing me in the early game. It was absolute rout. And the, I f was able to get to a position where my tableau was so strong and I had so many icons on the table because I'd been doing nothing else that I was then able to claw my way back. And part of this is experience, part of this is writing the tempo, and yes, I will freely admit, sometimes this is just getting the cards you need. Well, I'm looking, like I did have fun. I am enjoying it more and more every time I play it. I definitely want to play it more. Once I think once you get to know more of the cards, it will it'll just be that more interesting, right? You can see exactly what's happening. You'll start to branch out and watch. 
like, I, I didn't really look at your tableau very much until, you know, this combo started hitting me. It's like, okay, well, how do I stop that? And it's like, well, there is no way now I can stop that. Yeah. But like I said, once you start getting to know the cards more, then you're going to start looking at what your opponents are doing more and, and, and being able to cut them off a little earlier before they get too far ahead. Well, part of this, I think we're actually going to talk about later in the episode. Part of this, I think, is the fault of the medium, because I agree with you. Board Game Arena is one of the best ways to do board games digitally. I think the way that it animates things is just right. You can kind of see where things are going, but it, it, it's not like a five-minute-long song and dance with full FMV every time you want to take a turn. But in in person... I would have said, okay, hand over some of your scorecards. And then you would have said, wait a minute, Mark, I hate you. Why is this happening? And they would have said, but I have nothing in my love in my heart for you, Walker. It's because of this card. You would have picked up the card and read it. And you're like, okay. And then in your little Walker mind, you would have been thinking, here's how I start to counter it and or here's how I deal with it. Whereas in Board Game Arena, all that happens is I click a thing. The system tells you, geez, Walker, you've been boned. And that's more or less what happens. So <laughs> well, that that being said, Almost 90% of the time we are on some sort of voice chat and that time we just were not. Whereas it's had true. we been on voice chat, I would, have, I would have just said, Mark, what what card is doing that again? And then I would have looked <laughs> it, at it earlier. Excuse me, sir. I, I have a question. <laughs> it, excuse me. Excuse me. My wallet is a little lighter than it was a moment ago. Can you please tell me what just happened? Exactly. I agree that in future we should stick to voice chat. All right. Like Mark said, this is a Carl Chuddock game and it's put out by Yellow Games. Nope, not this version. It's put up by Asmati Games. This is the Asmati version. You knew what you were doing. Just yet. I know exactly what I was doing. I was triggered. I was deliberately provoked. Finally, I got to play the demo version of Hour of Need. Hour of Need is the upcoming release from Blacklist Games, the outfit of Adam Sadler and Brady Sadler. And we are huge fans of Street Masters, which was Blacklist Games' first release. We were disappointed in Brook City, their second release. We haven't tried... Ultra Quest, their more approximately upcoming release. Hour of Need is the superhero version of the modular deck system, quote-unquote invented slash evolved from Sentinels of the Multiverse by Blacklist Games. And so this is kind of full full circle, right? You have Sentinels of the Multiverse, which is a superhero game with a, a, a sort of earlier version of the modular deck system, and now they're doing their, their own superhero version with their own superhero canon of the system that has been evolving from Sentinels of the Multiverse all these years. And I have to say that we were, it's, this is just a demo version, so we were limited in our choice of heroes, and we are limited in the scenario, and we are limited in the villain. I really think that this has the potential to be the genuine evolution of the modular deck system that I've been waiting for. Because I didn't like Brook City because it was effectively a, a game about getting from point A to point B, which the cars were nice, but I, I didn't really appreciate that. And the scattered effects were just too difficult to resolve. There were all these weird text effects all over the table, and it was just difficult to just resolve and work through how it worked. Hour of Need is simple. It's actually simpler and more flexible than Street Masters is. Street Masters, on your turn, you do three very specific things in any order you want, but in Hour of Need, they're like, eh, people get confused with that. You just have two actions. Here's a list of actions. You have two actions. Just do, do any two of them. Go ahead. And it works really well, and the card effects are neat, and despite the simplicity, there's actually a little bit more nuance and texture, because instead of just having one stat, this is how many dice I get to roll when I punch someone in the face real hard, which, don't get me wrong, I have time for that all day long, you now have two different stats, this is how many dice I roll when I'm punching somebody, and this is how many dice that I roll when I'm solving something. So... You have a little bit more flexibility, a little bit more role differentiation. You're doing different kinds of things. 
without any additional rules overhead. There's only a slight difference in how the two tests work. The simple difference is when you are trying to solve a crime or solve a problem or, or what have you, if there are nearby enemies, they will whack you after you try to solve the crime, which makes perfect sense. As gamers, we've been trained that you can't do your best investigative work when you're swarmed by minions and thugs. That just makes sense. So I, I found it very promising. It was, it was simple to resolve, very much like Street Masters and unlike Brook City. It had a lot of good nuance and texture in terms of when we had to move, when we had to fight, when we had to solve, different problems coming up. I really enjoyed it, and I'm very, very much looking forward to Hour of Need. I actually pledged for Hour of Need in a, in a late pledge uh, for reasons passing understanding. At the time, I thought it was a mistake, but now having played the demo version, I'm very, very optimistic about Hour of Need, and I'm uh, hoping that it's going to go well. Like we've, we've been talking about Street Masters for years, ever since it came out, and fundamentally, it's the same game. Everybody has a hero with its own deck. There's a stage with its own deck. Deck, there's a villain with its own deck, and they all do that. But I finally feel like this system that was so promising but had some rough edges in, in Street Masters, which I'll still play, play any time, I finally feel like this is a smart step forward in terms of making it more nuanced and more textured, but at the same time simpler to resolve. So I'm extremely optimistic about Hour of Need, and I cannot wait to try the finished version. So is it a miniature-based as well? It does have a map that you move guys around? and Yes. Okay, super excited now. <laughs> All right. And those are the games we played this week. So now for the news and why it doesn't matter. Well, the Steel Desire nominations were announced, and also the convent big convention in Germany was canceled due to COVID-19 reasons. So that is a big shame. I'm sure lots of people that were expecting pickups there or companies that were scheduling pickups there that will throw a bunch of kickstarters into disarray yeah the market implications of spiel being canceled are, are potentially very unfortunate but honestly this was this was pretty much an inevitability i don't want to play monday morning quarterback or you know uh, hindsight is 2020 and all that stuff but i mean really th this is the only way it could have gone gen con's gonna get canceled there's no there's no way gen con's going forward uh, i'm i'm uh, <laughs> I'd be shocked if shucks happens. You know, I mean, look, the world is is going to change fundamentally. A number of people are saying, and about this, I, I this is way out of my depth. A number of people are saying, look, all the conventions next year are going to get canceled too, because until the world changes fundamentally, we're not going to be gathering together in thousands anymore. I don't know if all that's true, but look, if it's happening in the next six months, I say it's a complete write-off. We'll see what happens. I'm just confused on how they can announce nominations for 2020 when it's like not even half over yet. Yeah, the timing is weird. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, do they get advanced copies of every game, or? <laughs> well, it's I, just it's I just, just don't understand. You just pick an arbitrary time. It's very much like how the Golden Geeks for 2019 happened very late into 2020. So it's just the way things work. All right. Very briefly, I have to say that I haven't felt this good about SDJ nominees for quite some time. So I haven't played. My City by Reiner Knizia, but it's been nominated by an SDJ, and I will admit that I have absolutely no journalistic or objective, uh, objective distance when it comes to Reiner Knizia. He deserves every prize ever. He should have won Best Podcast. Uh, he should win the SDJ. He should get a Nobel Peace Prize, etc., etc. Yeah, and the new commemorative Wingspan Award, which means you're 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 the greatest game of all time and everything else. Yeah. Now, now. Uh, Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Uva Rosenberg and Colme van Morsel, uh, their game Nova Luna was nominated, as was Pictures by Daniela and Christian Starr, which I haven't played, but it looks, it looks perfectly charming. Now, the Kenner Spiel, it, it looks really solid. We have Cartographers, a role player tale, which I haven't played, but it uh, comes highly recommended for what it is. I mean, it seems to be more engaging than your average role and write. 
The Crew, which I really like, and I told you it would be nominated for awards, and I told you it would deserve some awards. Who knows what's going to happen? And, of course, The King's Dilemma, which, as far as I'm concerned, was the very best game of the last year, but it was robbed of, of Game of the Year from uh, So Very Wrong About Games for reasons passing understanding. I don't know. Uh, something weird must have happened. So those are three Tough. very, very good games, and I, I normally, when I read the SDJ and the Kenner nominees, I roll my eyes, but this time, I, I think it's a solid group. Well, Mark, speaking of good games... Why would we do that? Small World of Warcraft. Oh, boy. Whew. So excited. Man. World of Warcraft, fantastic. Small World, fantastic. Might as well (laughs) merge those together. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, because I I think for the first time ever, we're going to have a Small World game with orcs and elves and gnomes and stuff. Yeah, so much different than the one that we already have. Exactly. I would like to announce that we're going to be having today a very special installment of a long-running feature, the Swag Poetry Corner. You know, we're sophisticates here in So Very Wrong About Games, men of intellect and refinement, and so I would once again like to, to share with you some game-appropriate poetry, because uh, Matago released images of the works-in-progress versions of some of the monsters from Comet Blood and Sand. We've been talking about Comet Blood and Sand. We love Comet here, and Comet Blood and Sand is supposed to be Comet 2.0. And a number of people, myself included, are not a fan of the new sculpt for the Sphinx, because it looks stupid. Not because we're prudes, and not because we want to organize a boycott, but because it looks stupid. It's got a tiara with a little heart on it. That's how you know it's a girl. And in case you didn't already recognize that it had the tiara with the heart on it to show that it's a girl, it has giant honking fun bags on the front of it, pushed up with this with the standard sort of plate mail bikini thing. Ugh, it's it's just it's it's juvenile and silly. So, Erin Lee Escobedo, the brilliant designer of Meltwater, she hates it when I say she's brilliant, but she is shared with us this lovely retelling of Yeats's second coming. And I quote, A vast image out of Spiritus Mundi troubles my sight. Somewhere in the sands of the desert, a shape with a lion body and the head of a man, a gaze blank and pitiless as the sun, is moving its slow thighs, and also titty, I mean just absurd cans, milk from here to Bethlehem. This inspired my own version, a retelling of Percy B. Shelley's Ozymandias. <clears throat> I met a traveler from an antique land who said, two vast and pedulous titties of plastic point up in the desert. And on the pedestal these words appear, Look on my bazoongas, ye backers, and pledge! Nothing beside remains. So I I think it's great that when works of art, such as the Sphinx, can inspire more works of art, and I would encourage other people, if you have submissions for Swag Poetry Corner, be sure to let us know. In fact, submit it to the Guild. I will have a little poetry corner in the guild. I look forward to my haiku, which will be up there very soon. Splendid. I can't wait. Other news. There's going to be a reprint. Maharaja. It's a two to four player area control game game by legendary game designers Wolfgame Kramer and Michael Kieslin. Yes, it looks magnificent. Have you ever played the original? I have not. The original was published by Phalanx back when they did some Euro games as well as war games. And it went up to five players. This new version only tops out at four, which is kind of okay. It was it wasn't at its best with 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 five. Mark, Mark, the the Kickstarter goal hasn't been announced yet. Just <laughs> just hold up, okay? Sure. Wait for it. It's coming. Who's to say? They've also changed it so it's no longer a race to put out X palaces. It's it's a point based thing. I really enjoyed the original. I thought it was pretty good. It was a it was a it was a neat role selection area majority thing. I haven't looked too deeply at the reprint, but uh, I hope it's going to honor the original. Now, one of the things that look fantastic, which is Friendly Pastry Party. You know, it's going to be hard to find Friendly Pastry Party because they spell it some 
It's like friend me, pasty. It's F R E N E M Y. And it's the most adorable card game I've ever seen, Mark. It's, it was already printed out in, in Korea. And now this Kickstarter is bringing it to North America. And it's, uh, I am not, uh, embarrassed to say that I've already pledged for it because <laughs> it's adorable. Own your bliss, Walker. Exactly. Now, another news of, of games that nobody asked for from the publisher of Game and Curry Games comes their first game, Battle of the Boy Bands, where you will form your team of boy band singers and go out and compete against your opponents. And you'll have dance offs and, and video shoot battles and, and, and high pitch note battles. It's, I can't wait. I I ordered the retailer version of 15 copies so I can give them to all my friends. I'd say that there would have to be a BTS expansion, but the BTS expansion would obviously be overpowered and would just destroy all the competition. Oh boy. Check it out. It's very interesting to see. <laughs> Battle of the Boy Bands, Curry Games. Those are the new segments and why they do not matter. Now on to the topic of the week which is Digital Life After COVID, which is proposed as, after playing all of these games in the digital form, are there any games that you might we might think will continue playing in this digital form or if they play games a different way? Or, or what have we learned in this new digital era of board gaming? Eh, that's what I've learned. <laughs> eh. I did write down something. Some, sometimes the game will play faster. Like if you play it on a totally uh, scripted format, some games will go through faster. I did have a little quick antidote because you were talking about bullet and how uh, AP would go off. I did play clans of Caledonia also on, uh, on board game arena. And it was one of the most painful experiences that I've ever had. We, we played a game and it was asynchronous. And yes. we started off earlier in the week and we both hated it. And I used to, I remember about, you know, five years ago, I did a bunch of asynchronous games and I didn't mind it. I would never play it again. It was painful. But even though our game was asynchronous, you know, uh, one day we just went back and forth. It was, that was faster than this game where everybody was there and waiting. I would literally put my mouse cursor over my next move because I, so I would remember what it was and then I'd go do chores <laughs> and wait for the bell to ring on my game that was supposed to be real time. So let's talk a little bit about asynchronous gaming, right? Because asynchronous okay. gaming is absolutely something that you can do electronically or remotely that you just don't do in person as a rule. Like some people do, you know, you leave the chessboard set up and when people are passing by, you do them or whatever. But and I have to say that I've never really liked asynchronous gaming with one salient exception. The one salient exception is diplomacy. I'm not a huge diplomacy guy. I have, I'm not one of the experts. I haven't played dozens of times like a lot of other people. But one of the things that's great about asynchronous diplomacy is it gives time for the negotiations to breathe. You know, you can compose ridiculously flowery, flowery emails as though you're the diplomat from Austria or whatever. And you can go back and forth and mull a whole bunch of different complicated plans if you're submitting, say, a move a day or even in some cases a move a week, in which case, you know, ugh. but it gives time for that to breathe and, and for things to go. Out. And as a result, the game doesn't, strangely enough, paradoxically, in my experience, the game doesn't feel as long. 
If you sit down in person for like five to eight hours of diplomacy, that's a lot. But if you do a move every couple of days or a move a day, well, then that just seems manageable and, and, and time seems to fly by in, a, in a, a much faster way. Other than that, I find asynchronous gaming painful. I just, every time my turn comes up, it's like I have to relearn the game state all by itself. It's like there's no middle or late game anymore. It's all just early game. It's all scripted openings. It's all like my first turn every time. No, I totally agree with you. Like uh, Diplomacy definitely leads into that type of play where, like you said, you can come up with fantastic, you know, letters from, you know, from your particular country and nice themed and and interesting back and forth. And, and that the gameplay just leads into that sort of atmosphere and, and, and enjoyment. But anything else, I can see where I think back when I did it, it was it was there wasn't all of these different platforms in which we could play digitally. There was only one. It was Vassal. And you usually only had one game going, so you weren't distracted by all these other games where you could, you know, say, well, why don't we just play this where we can do it immediately, where this was the one thing that you could do when you're waiting around to play in real life. It's like, okay, we only play on Saturdays, so during the week while we're not playing on Saturdays, there's this one other game that we can, you know, send back and forth via email and play. So it wasn't too bad back then. I think that was the difference. There wasn't all these other you know, distractions, but now since there's so many other easier ways to play, then I don't see why you would. There are people who, and I, I've heard them talk about it, who have maintaining five games in Yukata and five other games on uh, Spiel by Web and two other games on Boitageur, and they're, they're constantly just juggling between, okay, here's my move in Agricola, here's my move in Teotihuacan, here's my move in Grande. here's... I just do not understand the appeal. It, it works great for some people. Like honestly, it's it's marvelously flexible. If you're willing to play asynchronously, well, then that just opens up all manner of scheduling opportunities, and you can play all these different games simultaneously if you're so inclined. I, however, am not. And we talked about it earlier, and we talked about the last episode. These people who are mid-maxing their scores, who really want to go for the best score, who only think True. they're playing properly if they get the best score, that would be the ideal way for them to play. They could sit there, you know, for as long as they want and 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 go through five or six different moves and and plan out exactly what they want to do. And this that way, it doesn't waste other people's time. You're absolutely right. As an addendum to two weeks ago, the solution to AP, if you don't mind playing asynchronously, and you want to play a game with somebody who suffers very deeply from that kind of competitively driven analysis paralysis, suggest you play asynchronously. There you go. Problem solved. So suffice to say, I am not going to be playing games asynchronously going forward once quote-unquote normalcy resumes. It is not something that I will take advantage of. Another one, I feel sorry for the people that moved away that suddenly got their gaming group back. Because, you know, only people can play digitally, suddenly people can play together again, and the guy that moved away is once again forgotten. Well, that's the thing. I was thinking about this, because this is, this is I've commented on this before, this is the salient advantage of this sort of lifestyle shift that we've experienced in how we do our hobby time. There are people that I haven't been playing games with that I've suddenly been able to play games with. Now, there, are, there is a core group of people in the, the greater Boston area that I used to play games with because I lived there. And they, at least, I would visit every few months. I would take a road trip and go down and, and stay with some friends in Boston and play games with them. But then there are the people who've moved away from Boston who live on the West Coast, or the people who used to live here and now live very far away. And yes, I have been gaming with them, not all the time, but fairly regularly, when I hadn't played a game with them prior to that in years. And I don't know, I sincerely don't know 
if I'm going to, and th- this sounds terrible, it sounds like I'm valuing their company, but I don't know if I'm going to keep this up with them specifically once I'm able to do in-person gaming again. Does that make me a monster? Not at all. Not at all. It's just, it's how life works, Mark. People move away and you make new friends. It's just simply how <laughs> life works. Well, no, but that's my point. No, I'm still, just, I'm being still serious. my friends. I, I, I'm willing. No, I'm not saying they're not your friends. I'm just saying, you know, gaming friends. That's all. <laughs> Yeah, of course, what's worth noting, just as a corollary, I don't, I don't want to get deep into the weeds of what the future is going to look like, because number one, it's complicated. Number two, we don't know. But it is, it's probably going to be, we're probably going to be doing in-person gaming with you, with Huey, Dewey, and Louie, maybe with some other locals. Far sooner, I think, than it's going to be feasible for me to hop in my car and go to Boston for a while. Like, those are two different activities, and I think we're going to, normalcy is going to come back on us in waves, and I don't know how long it's going to take. I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be doing any major road trips anytime soon, but I, I do think in-person gaming is going to return before that. So I, I have no idea to what extent I'll be inclined to, you know, call my friend in Boston with whom I play GMT games and say, hey, let's play Combat Commander, let's play Twilight Struggle, calling up my friend on the West Coast and saying, hey, let's play Pax Renaissance or, or, or what have you. It's it's the great unknown. It's tough to tough to tell. My next point are games, uh, games you can't own or games you just don't own. Like games that are so hard to find, or like you've been saying with Warfighter, where you have like you know fifty expansions that you wouldn't normally buy, but now you have them digitally, so that's something you still might play after the fact. Or like I said, rare games, or just or games you just don't have that you might just say, okay, well, I don't have this, but I really had fun playing it last month. Why don't we just go back online and and play it again? So I realized this is me finding yet new ways to reiterate the same thing that I always do, which is that my spatial awareness and my situational awareness in electronic gaming is not as good as it is in person. But I find learning new games through digital implementations to be doubly alienating. I don't know what it is, but being able to sit down with the components and set the thing up by myself in real life, in meat space, if you will. See, I am down with the kids' lingo. That's how they talk, right? LOL. Oh yeah, totally. KKK. Uh, and KKK. So honestly, I don't. There, there are a whole bunch of people, even people that we know, who get a lot of mileage out of these digital implementations and try before they buy. And every new game, every brand spanking new game, they're like, "Oh yeah, I've tried that. I played it three times. I'm not going to get it. I don't like it." And <laughs> you know. We, even more cutting edge than we are, and we're 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 professionals. We are the edge, Mark. I don't like doing that because it's harder for me to internalize the game when I've only experienced it in, in digital format. So I'm able to do it. It's just harder for me, and so I'm I'm more willing to make the compromise in terms of what game I play than the medium involved. This all like flows from a realization I made probably about ten years ago in the hobby. Because for a long time, when I was when I was just starting out the hobby, I was always chasing, I want to try this particular game, I want to play this particular game, I desperately want to try this thing. And absolutely, we're still on the hunt for new experiences. It's it's part of our preferences and it's it's part of how we approach having the podcast. But I will happily compromise on what we're playing sooner than I will compromise on who I am playing with and in what medium I'm playing the game. So the who I'm playing with, I realized before. You can sit me in front of, of three people I dislike, and I will not play Tigers and Euphrates with them. I won't play anything with them. But get me in front of three people that I seriously enjoy, and if they tell me all all we're playing is... Ter- like, take your Bingo. Pick. Bingo, Terraforming Mars, any game I dislike, 
wingspan, you name it, tapestry. I will play it with them if that's if that's what's happening. Anything by Stonemeyer. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> Charter Stone, another game I dislike. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll play that with them sooner than I would play Tigers and Phoenix with the people I love. And the same principle applies to the platform. I will play a physical version, a nicely produced physical version of a mediocre game sooner than I will play my favorite games on a digital platform if I have those choices involved. So if it's a question of whether or not I'm going to go to, I don't know, Dewey's basement and play whatever with him or playing online some other game that I prefer, I'll go to the basement. Thank you very much. Next up, I have tournament play. Believe it or not, they have this on Board Game Arena. I have no idea what it's about. But while you're playing, you're accumulating these points for whatever. I could care less. <laughs> but apparently, there's a way There's a way to play in an arena or something where you can bet these points. Really? Like, I can see. Yeah. Ta- I, tell like me I more. Said, I haven't looked into it. I, that's just what it seems like. And I'm like, no, I'm not, I didn't even want to look into it. Like It's like, no thanks. Well, I did notice after our game, I was awarded ELO points based on the probability of my victory over you. And honestly, it, it left a sour taste to the end of the game. Not even just, you know, undermining a victory or whatever. I don't care about that. It's just like, ew, I don't... Can, can I turn this off? I don't want to know. I don't care. Yeah, but see, in some games, there's betting. Like, I, I was looking at... We're binging Star Trek, right? And in, in Star Trek Next Generation, they play... Damjat. Play Damjat, human? In Star Trek Next Generation, they play a lot of poker. All the officers get together and they play poker and they have the chips out on the table. And seeing as the chips have no worth because they don't have any monetary system or anything, I don't understand <laughs> what they're playing. No, but seriously, if if you don't give like a real monetary value, like if you're not losing something by going all in or betting, then you're not playing poker. You're just... I'm sure a lot of hardcore poker players would say the exact same thing about all our Euro games. It's like, oh, congratulations, you won with 72 points against the other person's 66 points. Who cares? Well, see, I'm nerding out here. So now, because in Voyager, they totally fixed that. Because when they played <laughs> cards in Voyager, you see, they would bet they would bet uh, hollow deck time, right? See, and that's something that you would actually lose and that you'd want to win. See, and then therefore it made more sense. Okay, but and we're, we're but, getting a little far afield here. No, 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 no. I'm coming coming back now. I'm coming back now. So in normal board gaming, I think that is a terrible idea in order to like put an extra stake on top of just winning, right? It may lead to even more AP or more. But also that being said, there are some games like I know there are Gwicula tournaments and there's all sorts of pandemic tournaments. And this is, this is the only place where you're really, I know in some big conventions, they have big tournaments like this, but the majority of these tournaments happen online. So that's something that people will probably go back to. Is there's playing a guard, tournaments there was online. a guards of Atlantis two tournament that started a few days ago and Artie was posting things about it. And a number of listeners reached out and said, Hey, do you want to do this thing? And I'm like, Nope. I love Guards of Atlantis too. I am not going to play a tournament. Absolutely not. Because this is another thing about uh, about digital gaming that a lot of people do and that I can't, or I'm not inclined to. A lot of people are very, very happy to play with randos. And it's not that I have a distrust 
or I think they're going to cheat or that there's going to be, you know, strongly unpleasant social experiences. But again, I play board games. One of the reasons why I play board games is to spend time with my friends. And I don't want to play games with randos. I don't want to be matched up randomly with people online or enter into a Discord room with a whole bunch of people I've never met before. Friends of friends, that's fine. If I'm going to be playing with somebody and I know them and they want to introduce me to their friends who live in wherever, because that's the joy of, of, of distance gaming, sure, that's fine. But uh, the, the notion of playing in a competitive environment with and against people that I do not know sounds like a great way to take an endeavor that I adore and turn it into something that I will loathe. Agreed. The next point is just players in general. Sometimes, you know, we're lucky in this in this little town of ours. We have like three gaming stores and and a plethora of players. So we are we are more than lucky, but some people just cannot get a group together or have a hard time finding people to play with, and online is the only way to go, so they will still be playing games online. Yeah, if something really weird happened and I had to move away and I was in a situation, as I have been in the past, where I just don't have any local partners whatsoever, I think I might really value the fact that I picked up all these skills in this time of extremists. And I am familiar with these platforms and I am able to do it, although it's not my preferred way. So in a sense, you know, it, it's, it's good preparation for something like this were to happen again for different reasons. And I absolutely understand that for many people, this is their only option. My next point is solo gaming. The implementation of these digital games just work a lot better for solo. Not only do you get AI players, but just sometimes it just sets the game up and you can, you know, play it the way, you know, timing and faster the way you want. It just does the solo genre better, I think, than than it would be on the table. Here you're starting to persuade me because I don't know that I would ever do it by choice. But if I were to do it by choice, it would probably be in solo gaming context. Last week you asked me about Horizon War Zero Dark, and I very confidently predicted that I would never go back to the digital version. I may have been exaggerating a little bit. Because you're right, because one of the one of the pitfalls of solo gaming is because you are exclusively in charge of manipulating all the components and there's no social element to distract you while you're doing that. You can't chat with someone while you're shuffling. You can't trash talk while you're placing out all the terrain for the miniature component. You can't talk about the different units you're in, blah, 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 blah. It often feels to me like I'm just moving pieces around. It's just the the, the physical burden of manipulating all this stuff starts to mount. And when there is a good digital implementation that will prevent me from having to deal with all that, maybe that is a better way to do solo gaming. I think I might have more to say about this later, because in addition to the Vassal mod for Warfighter, we also got a review copy of the Vassal mod for Thunderbolt Apache Leader, which is one of my favorite solo games, but it has a lot of components to manipulate. And so that that kind of format, I think, I agree with you, is is ideal for the digital platform and shows it to its strengths. Now, and on the same vein is is just time constraints, right? When you play online, you get to know how long a game will take ex almost exactly, or the fact that if you play against AI or the solo version, you can hop in and out or leave whenever you want. Just the digital versions lead you to utilize your windows better, your windows of free time. That has not been my experience, actually. I actually find that... that Yes, solo and against AI, absolutely. But against other people, all bets are off. I, you know, most games take slightly longer than they would normally, especially if you're playing on tabletop simulator, which is a blight on humankind. But 
generally speaking, I have no idea how long this game is going to take. You put a game in front of me that I played even once or twice before, and I have some rough ballpark of how long it's going to take. But if we're playing on Vassal or Tabletop Simulator, I have, I tend to have no idea how long it's going to take. Usually longer, almost always longer, but by some variable amount, sometimes faster. I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, like, if you played it on that platform before, I don't, I don't mean, like, from the table now in Vassal, I mean, say if you've played it on the platform multiple times, and you sort of have a window of knowing how long it's going to take. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I haven't been paying enough attention, because I just don't feel like I have rel- reliable intuitions. Even games that I played a whole bunch of times in person and electronically, I guess the, the best example of this would be PAX Renaissance. I probably played it the most, you know, both non-digitally and digitally in terms of a rough parody. But uh, I don't know. I guess I should just pay more attention. All right. And my last point before I go into actual examples of of mine is now that I'm versed in the different platforms, uh, we can try like new games that are coming out. A lot of companies are putting out like, uh, you know, a tabletop simulator version or a tabletopia version much before the game is actually released. So we can sort of give these things a try and be able to talk about them before they're actually released to people. Oh, boy. You're going to ask me, oh, geez, I, I'm getting a vision of my future of, <laughs> of our being able to play games games together again. And I being like, look, I have this box. And you saying, ah, but this Kickstarter is on, this Kickstarter is going on right now. And they have this advanced TTS mod. We should play and review that. Oh, no, I don't want to. I don't want to walk around. Look, I stand by my previous comment. I don't want to. This is, I am using these platforms and these formats as a crutch, as a substitute, because I can't get what I actually want, which is to say to play board games with people in person. And as much as possible, I sincerely believe, once these conditions start relaxing, I'm going to spend as close as possible to zero time on these other platforms. All right, so I only have three games I'm going to talk about. Castles of Burgundy, I've already talked about it. It survived the two purges, but I don't think it's going to survive again. Now that I have an app where I can just get that feeling of Castle Burgundy that I like and not have to worry and cut its playtime literally in half, right? And so I don't need the actual physical copy anymore. Secondly is, these are all games that I actually played this week. The other one is Can't Stop, even though I I, th- I know I had a copy of Can't Stop like years and years ago when I had over probably over 500. I know I had Can't Stop on the shelf and never played it. But now that I finally had a chance to try it and like it, I still will not get an actual copy because it just plays so well in Board Game Arena. It gives you all your options. You just click on what you want. It moves it all up. You get a game done in five minutes. So that's another one that I will not pick up in real life. And lastly, I really feel as though I would not enjoy innovation as much in real life as I do in the digital implementation. Just the fact that it, it tracks all of the symbols even though you said, you know, it does all the stuff automatically and you can't see exactly what's going on, you can look down at the little window and it does tell you all the different things that just happened. It'll say Mark played this card or Mark did this and then Mark robbed you of your victory and sucked all the fun out of the game. See, it says right there at 5.02, Mark <laughs> destroys fun. <laughs> so anyway, those are the only three games I can think of off the top of my head that that the digital world has has killed for me. You talking about your purges really emphasizes something that I, I hadn't really fully internalized before. Digital versions, by their very nature, tend to be cheaper than the physical versions. And if you're on a budget, and if you have a 
if you have, if you've already invested in the hardware necessary to run these things, if you already have a computer, which many people already do, I don't want to make presumptions about anyone's socioeconomic means, but if you've already got a computer and you want a copy of Castles of Burgundy, well, the app is cheaper than the board game. If you want to play Scythe, the app is cheaper than the board game. If you want to play Warhammer Underworlds, the app is very much cheaper than the board game. If you want to play a tabletop maze game, something like X-Wing, things like, something like Infinity, oh my goodness, the mod is cheaper than the physical version. In terms of helping with budget, it's absolutely there. However, I will note, just in terms of, of cycling back to some of the downsides, for all their vaunted flexibility, digital implementations, the good ones tend to be a lot less flexible than the in-person games. And sometimes this is clear, and sometimes this is less clear. In the case of something like innovation, there are lots of interesting expansion material for innovation that are not available digitally, as an example. And so, just to circle back to what I said at the beginning, a lot of this is about compromises. It's a lot about scarcity, right? Your games might be scarce, or your partners might be scarce. And it's all about which compromises you're more keen to make. And I am more keen to make a compromise on the available game if I'm able to play it the way that I want to play it with the people that I want to play it. In this particular context, I don't have that, that choice, and so I have to compromise on the platform. And we are fortunate enough to almost never have to make serious compromises based on means. If we want a game, we can probably get it, thanks to the generous support of our listeners. And if they want us to talk about something, we could probably do so in the way that we prefer. But there are a lot of people and a lot of circumstances that could lead some, uh, someone, even someone like me, to prefer digital gaming even after other alternatives are available. But once again, I'm not in that position. No, I really feel as though it is a different hobby in on itself, in my opinion. Mm. Board gaming, for me, is a meeting, a social meeting with you and your friends or you and other people where there is a physical, tangible thing in front of you and you're manipulating components on the board and you're talking with each other and you're interacting with the people around you. And I think that is what board gaming is. And I think this other thing, we're forced to do it now, but I think it's, I think it can almost be viewed as its own separate entity. That's an interesting perspective. I don't know if I agree, but I, I definitely see where you're coming from, and there's a lot of virtue to your analysis. Well, that's going to do it for this week for So Very Wrong About Games. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it a great deal. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach Walker via his email, justrolledadice at gmail.com. You can reach me, Mark Baby, on Twitter, at the games you like. For more public discussion, you can find the So Very Wrong About Games Facebook page, or you can check out our Board Geek Guild, which is guild number 3236, and you can find us on Patreon. We read everything you send us, and we'll get back to you if we can. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope to see you again soon. Peace! You've been listening to So Very Wrong About Games, produced by Michael Walker and edited by Mark Bigney. Special thanks goes to What Does It Eat for generously allowing us to use their most excellent song, FOS, as our theme. You can find them at whatdoesiteat.com. You can reach us by email at soverywrongaboutgames at gmail.com or on Twitter at sowronggames. Thanks very much. See you next time, and always, try to be right, but remember you are so very wrong. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. 
Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.